Good morning. I'm Shirlene. And if we have never met, you're probably thinking, who are you? Well, full disclosure, I'm Dave's mom. And no, there will be no stories about Dave in this morning's message. So Dave, you can relax. And um, this morning will be a little bit different as I feel compelled to share some of my journey of faith. I've been really excited about this series more than enough because it's a truth that has resonated with me for some time. Part one started us off with the metaphor of treasure, and I found it quite inspiring. So I'd like to delve back into that metaphor in a little different light. Actually, no light at all. I suppose many of us will be looking back on these past 14 months as a time of darkness in our lives. The pandemic has brought to many people sadness and fear, isolation, loneliness, sickness, losses, perhaps of employment, of income, and other losses. Regardless of this past year, most of us can probably recall a dark period in your life. But having gone through seasons of darkness and glad that they're behind me, I've come to see the value of dark times. Darkness, the absence of light, is perhaps that frame of mind we find ourselves in as life's experiences seem to swallow us up. Or perhaps it's circumstances that we have to navigate through. Darkness is dark. No one can claim a darker time than another person. And so as I share what have been dark times to me, you might feel that your dark times are actually darker, and that's okay. I hope that everybody will be able to relate a little bit today. <clears throat> Excuse me. My journey of faith began as a child. Let me give you a little bit of the family dynamics of um, our house. I was not raised in a household of faith. My, uh, my parents were um, people who had moved to Toronto from a farming community. And so my dad had a, a grade five education, worked hard, and they had three children Two, uh, one boy, two girls, and then much, much later, I came along. By the time I came along, my dad was 48, and so I don't think it was a happy day. <laughs> but the good thing was I was taken to church and Sunday school by my mother. Thankfully, that little church was a group of committed Christ followers devoted to sharing their faith and teaching the scriptures. The lessons on trusting God and knowing that he loved me laid a solid foundation in my beliefs. But it wasn't until one night at a girls' club meeting that I was confronted with the choice to follow Jesus. The speaker that night was sharing the verses from Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And this is what it says. Enter through the narrow gate, 
For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find, a few find it. I was 11 at the time, and because of our family dynamics, um, at that time, uh, my brother had long been married. He, he actually was married when I was a year and a half, and my oldest sister, she was married and out of the house by the time I was five, and so there was just myself and my sister, who was five years older than me, living at home, and... Because my father was kind of, uh, if you've ever seen um, the television show um, that featured a character named Archie Bunker, that is the picture of my dad. And so keeping out of the way, being a good kid, uh, keeping out of trouble, I believed in God, but I had never made the conscious decision to get on that narrow road that leads to life. And so with that realization, I was convicted to do it right away. So that evening, I stayed behind. The speaker and I knelt on the floor of the church office, and I asked Christ to come into my life. I was so excited. And I was given this little book from Scripture Union, where every day there was a passage of Scripture to read, and a little prayer, and I would read that every day, and I would take a verse from that passage and write it in my little notepad every night before I prayed. Well, at this same time, there was something happening in my home that I had no idea was coming. I started to notice that my mother had a lot of trouble getting up out of a chair. She couldn't raise her arms above her head. Her speech became garbled, and she couldn't form the words with her mouth anymore. We couldn't understand what she was saying. No one talked to me about it. I was just a little kid. I was simply told to grow up and to grow up fast. Suddenly, I was living out a Cinderella type of existence of washing the floors, cleaning the house, making the meals, doing the laundry, and then the schedule was getting up in the morning, getting ready for school, pulling my mom out of bed, getting my mother dressed, getting my mother down the stairs, feeding my mother breakfast, running off to school, lunchtime bell, run home from school, make a bowl of soup, feed my mother the soup, run back to school, at the end of school, run back home, and I was exhausted. Now, while everybody else had grown up and moved out of the house, um, my father had his own way of coping with the situation. And uh, being a person who had a drinking problem in the past, he now kept things pretty much uh, on the up and up until my mother was moved to a long-term care facility. I felt neglected, abandoned, confused, bewildered. And now in addition to all my regular responsibilities, I was to go with him and visit my mother every night after dinner and Saturday and Sunday afternoons and Saturday and Sunday 
evenings. It was a dark time. I had just turned 15 when my mother passed away, and it wasn't until many, many years later that I learned that she had suffered from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. But instead of relief at that point, the darkness grew even darker living with my dad. He decided to retire from his job, and of course, that allowed him to spend all of his time with alcohol. He frequented the bars. Sometimes he came home, sometimes he didn't. He told me that it was time for me to quit school and look after him. After all, he had looked after me my whole life. There were times when he would say that I was lazy and stupid and good for nothing, and then if I didn't straighten up, he was going to send me to a boarding school. Well, you know, I had watched a lot of these uh, movies, you know, like Annie and Pollyanna, about these little girls who are orphaned, and, and they go to these orphanages, and then they're, they have this wild, wonderful time, and then they're, they're adopted by some wonderful person. I, I said to him, I, I would like that. And then he never said that to me again. Rats. I was actually trying to figure out how I could run away and be safe. But this was back in the 60s. And there were too many girls at school who had gone down the wrong path after leaving home. And I wasn't going to be one of them. There was something about the darkness that made me search dig, and discover my faith. My safe haven was the community of believers that I met with every week at church. In spite of my father's complaining that I spent too much time going to church, I would make sure I got there. The people were so kind to me. And the continued learning of the principles in the Bible, the habit of prayer every night, and, oh, the verses that I was challenged to learn back in the days when I was a little girl memorizing scripture, these were now the tools to search and dig and discover spiritual riches. Verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I had a lot of trouble with that phrase, don't lean on your own understanding. Right. I sure don't understand all of this. But the admonishment there to trust rested in my soul. In Isaiah 45, the Lord speaks to a king named Cyrus. He was a conqueror of the kingdom of Persia. Cyrus would do everything and anything to conquer. And God had anointed him to conquer Babylon. So without going into a big history lesson about Persia and Cyrus and uh, all of that, I'd just like us to take a look at this verse 
starting in uh, chapter 45, verse 2, where God says, I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. That metaphor, the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places. Why? So that you may know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Remember part one in our series? He summons us by name. He chooses us. We are his treasure, and he is our treasure. You know, I realized that there was great value in dark times. My church family was a toolbox that taught me to dig deep and discover jewels. Some of the most valuable materials in the world are found in the dark, deep recesses of the earth. Think about that. Oil, natural gas, gold, emeralds, and of course, diamonds. Have you ever heard of the phrase, no pressure, no diamonds? And likewise, I realized that under pressure and darkness, God had been developing in my life faith, hope, perseverance, patience. And because of all he is to me, my salvation, my rock, my shelter, my heavenly father, I have an amazing relationship with him that is more valuable than all the diamonds in the world. If you've ever visited the state of Virginia, you may have gone to the Luray Cavern. Inside these dark caves, the ever slowly dripping of minerals from the ceilings in the cave have created these amazing rock formations called stalagmites and stalactites. It's incredibly beautiful. And like that slow process, eternal riches are ours if we persevere in our dark experiences of faith. I know that my greatest treasure was found that night when I was 11 years old and decided to follow after Jesus on the narrow road that leads to life. This little notepad is a memento of that special treasure. Here it is. On day one, I wrote, I'm thankful I am a Christian. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life and cleansing my sin. I love you and I'm thankful for all the wonderful things you have given me. And then I put C. Campbell. I put my name, you know, as if God didn't know. And then I noted, I received him into my heart at Crusaders Youth Club on April 21st, 1967. My Bible is another tool to dig through immeasurable treasure, God's words to me. 
I've come to realize that being in the dark, that is, being confused, bewildered, afraid, sad, was probably how this girl felt that we read about in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. Historians say she was probably about 13. And here she had experienced the virgin birth of God's son. I can only imagine that she would be dealing with fear, maybe sadness, wondering if she's going to be a social disgrace, wondering if Joseph might abandon her, wondering if her family will shun her, dealing with an uncertain future, and in this verse, we read that after shepherds came to visit her, and I can only imagine these strange men, shepherds, coming to visit her and Joseph and the Christ child. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What an amazing verse to say that she treasured these strange events and words that angels had spoken to her. I think pondering is the mining through the confusion that darkness brings. And in reflection, we uncover precious truths. Taking time to filter through the stuff in life and uncover the golden nuggets to be found is truly precious. But mining is also hard work. And the golden nuggets that are found are what carried her through a dark time. The next two years, I think, were even darker for Mary. King Herod, who had heard about this Christ child, the king of the Jews who had been born, was threatened by him and declared that all of the baby boys in Bethlehem to be killed. That sent Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus into hiding for the next two years. Well, there's another uh, part of the treasure chest that has been especially important to me. I have been so grateful for the good friends that God has put into my life who listen and discuss and share and have helped me to continue mining through all the challenges and darkness that I've been through to share some light and bring out the golden nuggets of learning and appreciation for how God has directed my paths. Being part of Bible study groups and life groups has been another treasure chest to unpack spiritual jewels. Once I got through that season of darkness, I had this misconception that I had done my time, so to speak. I had persevered and held strong to my faith. I had passed some kind of test. I'm not sure why I thought I had paid my dues and life was just going to be one blissful moment after another. But sure enough, 
there have been more times of darkness than I care to count. In 2001, my husband Ted lost his battle to leukemia in nine short months. All the threats found in darkness came to swallow us up. There was no life insurance. There was no mortgage insurance. There was no savings account. But I had already discovered the gems of God's faithfulness and his presence. And although I felt I was on the brink of emotional and financial ruin, I listened to this song every moment as I got ready to go to work. I put a CD disc on sung by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and the words go like this. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. The words are, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you are more than enough for me. Jehovah Rapha, you are my healer, and by your stripes I have been set free. Jehovah Shama, you are with me, and you supply all of my needs. You are more than enough. You are more than enough. You are more than enough for me. I had no idea how I was going to manage caring for my three children with my little job as a transfer account administrator at AIC. So I took all of my financial information to a friend of ours who was a chartered accountant and a tax specialist, and he went all over our budget. And he said to me, you're going to have to sell your house. You are $800 short every month. So I went home and I told my kids, we're going to do our job every day, we're going to go to school every day, and we're going to trust God every day. At the end of the month, six envelopes arrived in our mailbox. They weren't encouragement cards. They weren't thinking of you notes. Inside each envelope was a check. Every month, six envelopes arrived in the mail with a check inside. These were all families I had only known for a couple of years. One family had moved to Alberta. One family had moved to Florida. One lady lived in Stony Creek. A couple lived in Burlington. Another couple lived in Oakville. And one from Barrie. The total of the checks came to $825. More than enough. So, Open up your treasure. Riches are stored in secret places so that you may know the Lord. Perhaps you might find that the Apostle Paul uh, speaks to you in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, where we read, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. So let me encourage you to be the declaration. We are the vessels that hold the treasures, those treasures of salvation and faith and hope and love, God's presence that is a light in this dark world. These vessels of clay were not the size of a jewelry box. In 2019, I traveled to Corinth, which is the place where Paul wrote this letter to. And I went to one of the historical sites where there were jars of clay that had been excavated on the site. It was the biggest clay jar I could ever imagine. It was probably between four and five feet high. It was big enough that a small person could fit inside and just have your head pop up the top. You could store a lot of treasure in this thing. That's the kind of vessel that is needed to contain the treasure that God provides. That's the kind of vessel you are. We don't use jars of clay here in Canada, or at least most of us don't. I actually use Ziploc bags. And Ziploc bags are transparent. And so the great thing is, Everybody can see what's inside. I think that's what God wants us to be, so that the whole world will see the treasures of God in our lives. So let me encourage you. Value your darkness. Discover the treasures hidden in secret places. Be a declaration of God's incredible grace. Let me close with a final word from Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6, where God says to Cyrus, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, Men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. He is more than enough for me. Let me just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the dark times that come into our lives where you help us to unearth immeasurable treasure and you do that so that we will know who you are, that you are a God like no other. May we be a declaration to our world of your greatness and all that you are, a light in this world for Jesus' sake. Amen.